Anybody know what anybody know what Psalm 118 and 24 says? This is the day. Well, I drink. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice. rejoice and we will be glad in it. So great to see you. Those live streaming, thank you. Every volunteer. Uh, yes, Kate, as uncomfortable as it gets for us, but thank you for the thought, you and every single coordinator. Um, to to uh, to take a moment. We love you, love all of you, and glad that we get to serve alongside of you um, in this community of Charlottesville we call home. Um, how about we get into the Word of God, shall we? Romans chapter five. Joseph, all in the text. He read from verse six and a few verses after. We're going to pick up at verse fifteen and sixteen. Um, and if you saw all those teams up here and, and you heard about the victory groups, I'm kind of secretly hoping you get a little FOMO if you're not involved yet. Uh, FOMO. Can I say that? FOMO. Fear of missing out. I'm kind of hoping that there's a little bit of that on the inside of you uh, around what you are missing out on and that in 2020 you'll engage in a way, as Kate mentioned, that has you step into more corporately what God has for us together. Better together, hashtag, hashtag, teammates matter, whatever hashtag, it's all Bible. I need you and you need me. Hezekiah Walker wrote a song about it. The Bible says it. I think it's pretty replete through scripture that we ought to walk together. So I pray that you get a little FOMO this morning. Amen. Romans 5, verse 15 and 16, but I want to pray first. Lord, as we read your word, open our eyes so that we can see all that is in your word. It says that in Psalm 119 and 119 and 18, and I pray every time we open the word that we look to you to illuminate the words on the pages. Through your Holy Spirit, bring to life that which can only be brought to life by the life giver himself, the one who shed precious blood, the only clean blood ever to have been shed for the atonement of sins once and for all. You, Heavenly Father, are the one we look to, to illuminate, to speak, from whom we get wisdom to then apply so we can walk more uprightly before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. New International Version. If you don't mind reading with me, that'd be great. <clears throat> it reads, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Uh, this month we are kicking off a series entitled Amazing Grace in concert with the more corporate fasts with our Every Nation family of churches I'll speak to at the end of our time today. Um, and the title of today's message is Much More. So if we look to one neighbor, let's tell them, much more. Much more. And they look at you a little crazy, be like, we'll get it, we'll get more before our time is up. Um, and I want to highlight two points in case we don't get to all of them in depth today. The first one is that God's grace is much more than our sin. And secondly, God's grace is much more than we deserve. God's grace is much more than our sin, and it's so much more than we could uh, deserve. There's a gentleman by the name of uh, Robert F. Smith, I think it's his name, who in May of, May of 2019 spoke to the graduates at Morehouse College, historically black college in Atlanta, Georgia. And in addressing them, he said to them, I am going to pay for all the debt 
that is all out here. It's about 400 of, of them or so. And that debt amounted to millions of dollars. The latest number in an article I read, I think, was like $34 million. If you're like me, you're having a little slight daydream when you read. Anybody hear that story? You heard of it, right? Yeah. I was kind of like, man, what would it have been like to be in that? Heck, what now would it be like to be sitting in an audience to hear somebody say something like that? I'm going to forgive every debt that is here. I also thought with some compassion for the, for the guy or gal who had to graduate a semester late. <laughs> I'm like, man, they got to have some way grandfathered them in or something. But then I thought, what do you do? How do you respond to that offer? And prayerfully before our time is up, we'll, we'll think on our own behalf how we respond to that offer. Because we, while we've not been necessarily in the Morehouse graduating class of 2019, you and I very well know we owe a debt and owed a debt that we could not pay. That was, in fact, paid for each and every single one of us. There's no payment plan. Right? You didn't, there's no 10 years of service, if you will, that then you can get it redeemed. There's nothing we can do, nothing about who we are, the work that we put in, that's going to afford us the forgiveness of that debt. But there is a debt forgiveness plan, thank the Lord, one that requires no work, but one that comes by way of grace. And so the Apostle Paul in this text is trying to help us understand a little bit more about this grace. You got a little context already from Joseph and Kate. So I'm skipping over Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, wasn't there, wanted to visit them. And so he sent this letter, etc. And getting right into the, the meat of what's here, which is him wanting to help us see what benefit, if you will, we have with grace. And how much more it is than our sin and how much more it is than what it is that we Deserve. And he does so by using a, drop, a, uh, a backdrop of two particular stories, one out of Genesis 3, and then the other, Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Genesis 3 talks about the story of Adam. If you don't know the story, it's where the serpent tempts Adam and Eve to eat of this fruit. Both of them eat of that fruit, then communicating, imputing, if you will, to all of posterity, future generations— this inheritance of sin, we know it as the fall, and all of humanity fell with Adam and Eve when they fell. And we know, too, that it's not just that you and I commit sins that, that then make us sinful. The Bible says in Psalm 51, I believe, that we were shapen in iniquity, conceived in our mother's womb in sin. So it's not that we do things that then creates us as sinful. No, the fall, in fact, imputed that to us. But if you're like me, imagine there's nobody in the room who has always been obedient to Jesus Christ. Any show of hands. And so all of us, after the imputation or however you want to describe that, which isn't the focus of what Paul's doing here, by the way, in, Ro in, in Romans. Uh, <clears throat> but even after that, we follow suit. And our daily lived experience. The Bible does say in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short <clears throat> of the glory of God. And so all of us then meet at the foot of the cross. Apostle Paul uses the word trespass here. And I want to talk a little bit about that um, because I think it's important to have a better perspective, a more clarified perspective, not just because it's the new year, though culturally I think something shifts in all of us about what we can pursue more diligently in this new year. And he uses this word trespass or transgressions in other versions 
as describing the act of disobedience from Adam, speaking of him falling away after having been close or the sense of offending God, which I want to pause ever so briefly there just to say that our sin has everything to do with offending God. Every now and then I'll talk to good friends. Um, some know God, some don't know him. They have a lot of questions and we'll get in these conversations, Frankie. And what comes up a lot is, what does it mean to be good? What does sin mean? Where do we get it from? And I tend to ask those questions because that's my style, number one. And two, I learn a lot from people when they talk. So I ask a lot of questions and let them go. And when I ask those questions and I get the sense maybe they'd be open to something that I have to say, I then propose, well, could it be that all that we think is good is traced back to the moral compass described by the God of the Bible? Like just maybe, depending on where we are in the conversation and what I feel might be received. And in presenting that, the idea, of course, is we are trained in many ways to think differently about sin. It's if I offended you, B.I., or if I hurt your feelings, or if I did X, Y, or Z to maybe marginalize an individual or group of people, which is not good, but at its core, it's that God was offended. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, it wasn't that somebody got hurt or was they, they, were, they were downtrodden, if you will, because of their behavior. It was ultimately because it offended God. What if and this is a parenthetical, not the main point of today, but what if you and I both thought differently about God, what it is that you say is sin and what it is that you say is good? How might I embrace that? I grew up in a house, and you can raise your hand if you like, but if not, I'll be the only one, where these four words were spoken a lot, because I said so. <laughs> Anybody get that? Because I said so. A lot of vivid memories, can't share them all. I'll share an abbreviation of what I plan to share a little bit of, which was at 16 years old, I wanted a moped, Willie. A moped, had my own money, scooped a lot of ice cream at Friendly's to earn it. <laughs> Friendly's, Friendly's. <laughs> and saved up, was gonna buy this nice red moped from Veronica around the corner. She had two, they didn't, and yeah, Veronica, Paul, and Joe, Abana. And, uh, and <laughs> it was random. And <laughs> that I remembered their names and pictured their house. But they had two and they didn't use this red one, I was gonna buy it. Dad, sure, your money, do what you want to do. Probably thinking, that's one less ride. I'm going to have to give you the friendlies or the work. Or, But moms came in. Oh, no, 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 no. We are not getting a moped up in here. But ma, and I started with my rationale of my money and this, that, and third. And it ended quite expeditiously with, because I said so. So then I ensued with, yes, ma'am. <laughs> And there was no moped for my 16-year-old self. But in many ways, God is also calling us to see sin again, which isn't to say the moped was sin. It was not. But to see sin as being that which he just says through the general tenor of Scripture, because I said so. I never questioned mom's love for me. I never said you're being nasty. She was never nasty about it, never got the sense she was beating me over the head about something. It was just clear. She wasn't having it. And so God, similarly through the general tenor of Scripture, might say this, Adam and Eve, because you ate of the fruit, because you had that thought of killing your brother, because you said those words to your neighbor that made them incredibly upset, that was bad. But really, it's sin because it offended me. 
it offended me. Adam and Eve ate the fruit, offended God, and affected all of us, all of posterity, all future generations, creating a separation between us and him, a gap that could never be bridged without supernatural intervention. It introduced consequences. No doubt you and I have to toil. Genesis 3 talks about thorns and thistles through painful toil. We're going to eat up this food. We have some consequences of that sin. And yet there's grace even amidst the consequences that we might have to experience. Which humbles me, side note, don't have a lot of time for side notes, because if I'm, if I'm being honest, sometimes when I read scripture, you're like, man, what was wrong with them? Adam, what were you thinking, bro? You had it made. They were living, living it up. That was the best. We don't know what organic means today, <laughs> right? Like they had it. They had it. What, I don't know what we're getting, quite honestly. What we, don't, we don't know. We just do our best. But they had it made. What were you thinking? <laughs> and then I think, oh, wait a minute. I'm doing it every single day of my life. And the implications of said sin is wreaking havoc in some way on people close to me or not close to me. People I don't even see yet. Generations after me might actually pay some of the consequences of my behavior, whether or not I see it. Let me chill out on throwing stones at Brother Adam <laughs> and just get low and say, God, thank you for your grace. There's pain some of us right now are experiencing because of choices that we've made, consequences we are paying because of sinful behavior. If you want to turn to your neighbor, you can turn to your neighbor and say, when is the good news coming? <laughs> it's coming because God brings it, amen, through scripture. But I think it's important to, to clarify, pause, settle on for a little bit the depth of our trespass, because it's not until you really understand that that you can understand more the depth of the grace. That's much more than our trespass. If we have a small view, it's been said, of our sin, we'll then have a small view of his salvation. I always think about the story I told here some, I don't know, money months ago of when Taylor and I were at a party. Kids were swimming. They had games. They had stuff for adults. All this stuff was going on. And the kids, some kids were in the pool. They were swimming. Adults were watching the kids at the pool. But there was one kid whose parent left uh, and told us about it. And it was no big deal. And this kid, not knowing how to swim, jumped into the pool. Adults didn't know that he, or didn't know that he didn't know how to swim until they didn't know that he didn't know how to swim. Jumped in, thanked the Lord, got him out. We're scrambling. We found a physician who was in the area. Thanked the Lord, not enough uh, water got in his lungs such that there was damage. He was okay. But how many of us really, if we're honest, realize we're just like that kid? We can't swim. We can't swim. And this won't turn into a, we're terrible, horrible, but the truth is, we can't swim and we're not good, Willie. And if you know me, you know that's somewhat antithetical to my general nature. I'm encouraging, you got this, bro, go and get it. Get at it, be the best. And I'm speaking the truth, but when it comes to separating or bridging the separation that we have between us and God, we can't swim. We're that kid in need of the grace of God that can pick us up when we have no treading ability, put us on our feet and say, now you go with me. The grace of God, his grace is so much more than our sin. And Apostle Paul in this text is contrasting the free gift of grace from Jesus with the transgression of Adam. We look at verse 14. 
just prior to the text, we see that Adam was a type of Christ, a type of Christ, in that it says he was in the pattern of the one to come. So Christ, therefore, is called the last Adam, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, which says first Adam came as a living being and then the last Adam as a life-giving spirit. Point, there's so much greater power in the second Adam, the apostle Paul is saying, to make us happy than there is whatever in the sin and the fall of the first Adam to make us miserable. That's good news, by the way. The gift is not in its nature and its effects like the trespass. What's also good news is that it's free. It's a free gift, which is not to say it's cheap because it cost his life. The wages of sin is death, so somebody had to die, and the innocent died on behalf of the guilty. You and me, praise the Lord. But the first Adam would not have the last say. God's grace is much more than our sin. And by extension, the good news for you and me, the first Adam doesn't have the last say. When your sin tries to wreck your family, the first Adam doesn't have the last say. When the sin, me, when the sin that we engage in emotionally damages the little people around us, aren't you glad that sin doesn't have to have the last Adam? The first Adam doesn't have the last say? All of us are sitting here as recipients in some ways of the consequences of sin of those who went before us, abuse and, and, and drunkenness, you name it. We live it because we're people and human beings. And last I checked, we go through stuff. So we're sitting in it together. But aren't you glad the first Adam doesn't have to have the last say? There's a method to the repetition because I know we don't always believe that. Oh, it's just my lot. I was on the phone two days ago. It's just because this happened, and, and I said, I'll give credence to what happened. I get it, and actually, I'm a counselor. I understand the second, the trauma, and all of what plays out today. And yet, the first Adam will not have the last say because his grace is greater than Amen. that sin. Amen. That's good news if we pause and stop right there, and I'm tempted to do, though, because of time. But I'm going to throw in a couple more pieces. But the grace of God is so much more than our sin. The free gift of God, which is given, by the way, we don't deserve it, which leads to the second and final point that we'll conclude on somewhere in here. Nothing about who we are, what we do, earns his grace. Nothing. I feel like I need to go back to mom and dad for a minute because mom got the bad rap. So let me flip that. Another quick story as we close. Y'all can come out as we close. Uh, Years before the 16-year-old moped thing, Mom and dad, mom grew up in a single-parent household, Harlem dad, had mom and dad, but seven of those children lived in this apartment building. So both of them humble beginnings, and they came up. Dad went to the military at 18, traveled the world, had a little bit more. By no means were we rich by any stretch. But mom said, we got a little more. Let's give Paulie a little allowance. (laughs) Just a little bit. I said, I like that plan. (laughs) Let's give Paulie some allowance. Dad, we're flipping the story, came and said, allowance, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Nobody's getting allowance in this house. You work for everything. You earn everything. And by the way, when you do work, you ought to work out of the gratitude of what you already receive, like a bed, the the dentist trips that I pay for, the clothes that you have, the food on the table. Y'all hear me? That was how that went down. So by the time he finished, I'm like, what trash can I take out? Can I sweep up after you when you're edging the grass and all of it? And dad, you couldn't leave a blade of grass on the sidewalk. Like it was like that. 
And then if he said, if I give you a dollar, I might give it to you in dimes because 10 cents of it ought to go in that offering basket on Sunday. I'm like, what in the? (laughs) Because none of it belongs to you. You can't earn it. We work from grace, not for it. A lesson, God, I think is somewhat countercultural because even my own childhood, you earn it, you work for it, you work, you work, we work and get that degree. You deserve, if you will, which is tricky in another space we can talk about about what we deserve. But anyhow, you get the point. Countercultural is his grace. We don't work for it. We work from it. James talks a lot about it. Chapter 2, verse 17 in particular says, faith without works is is dead. It's because we recognize the grace without which we couldn't live that then we say, what you need me to do? Roll up the sleeves and do what? Clean toilets with toothbrushes? Those are the stories I used to hear. I used to clean toilets with toothbrushes in the military. Like, oh, man. But what do you need me to do? I'm not working for approval, for grace. I'm working from what you've already done because I'm grateful. That's amazing grace that can turn around a situation like that kid in the pool and have me standing here and you sitting there, breath in our bodies, minds regulated enough to say, huh, didn't get here on my own. I know I should have, but somehow you decided to come down from there to here, live like me, but not sin the life I should have lived and didn't live and then die for me, Kate. And then stopping the grave, we know the story. He rose again. Oh, oh, there's grace. Because nothing I did ever deserved that. It says from one sin, one trespass, there was judgment and condemnation. And in response to many trespasses, the text says, that makes no sense. One trespass deserved death. Many trespasses, you would think, death, death. I don't know, something. Right? <laughs> What's next? What else can you do? But instead, he said, no, and many trespasses, the response to that was his grace. That makes no sense. You're my, you're, I am yours. <laughs> What do you need? How can you use me? Your purpose is my purpose. Everything is ministry. Academia, I call it ministry. Church, ministry. Law, ministry. Business, ministry. Staff, food, staff at UV, ministry. I'm here. Real estate, ministry. How can I embody and bear your image in such a way that others see you in me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Your grace is so much more than our sin, and it is so much more than we deserve. Much more. Your amazing grace. Help us to get a clearer, more refined, more fresh perspective on the role of your grace in our life. That group at Morehouse, as our eyes are still closed, when I asked how we would respond, they celebrated before they even knew that their accounts changed. (laughs) They cheered. Here we have the free gift of God, the benefits of salvation that we get to celebrate through faith. May we extend our faith to you in this season more and better than we did in the past. Recognizing he who can give us so much more and already has than we could ever deserve and earn on our own. With eyes closed and heads bowed, in light of the grace, an overarching question then is what are we gonna do with it? And if you're sitting here 
wanting to, quote, do something with it right now, you can accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior if you have not. So if you have yet to give your heart to him or in another category, maybe you made a decision in the past, but your life looks nothing like that of what a Christian ought to. If either of those fit you, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for those sitting in this room who today decided not robbery to come and offer up worship and praise to a holy king whose grace abounds. It's abundant in each of our lives. And I pray that that recognition would only increase, only increase, that we would see you <coughs> in every area of our lives, more areas of our lives. We'd see your grace at work. And that we, in our efforts to be the best in whatever industry we find ourselves in, that that too would be to bring glory and honor to your name, to bring a platform upon which we can say, God did it. He's doing it. And he'll continue doing it. Help us to embrace your grace and recognize just how much more it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before... I step off.